Hello, welcome to Fallout Podcast, episode 90 something. Um, the only reason we know this is it is well documented, or words to that effect. Today, we are taking yet another detour. Do we even do that part where we vote anymore? I don't know, but we're taking another detour, this time into the total mythos. Oh, if you're somebody who thinks that maybe you shouldn't overanalyze the fall too much, you might want to skip this one. Um, joined as always by Mr. Pip, Billy Rugby. How are you doing, Pip? Uh, I'm doing a hell of a lot better than last time. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm firing on at least three pistons today. Right, nice, nice. And uh, the Pemberton Walker over there. How are you doing, Alistair? I'm good, yeah. I've been going uh, to uh, criminals and government crap. Oh, well, the worst of times, isn't it? And joined by our, our, our favourite fan, our favourite fall fan, Danny No. Uh, how you doing, Dan? I'm very well. Thanks. Glad to be here. And if you do want anything overanalyzed, I'm your man. Wait, that's exactly why you're here. It's um, we're building a reputation for ourselves, but I don't know if we can match you anytime. But um, let's see where we go tonight. So I'm I'm going to start off by playing a little bit of audio, um, which I'm sure will prove controversial right from the very start. Christian Guru Murphy. <laughs> Very good, Alistair. Yeah, that one is Roman early. Total 17 is the mental manifestation of the fall camp and dwells underground, while above him, trends grind on slowly and sickly. He appears under pseudonyms Cram Total, Mark Total Athlete 6, and the Great God Total. One of the ways that Roman Total emerged into the world and displayed his true nature was through appearances in dreams followed by sharp pains in the forehead of the dreamer. He appeared with a vicious twitching face saying, Thou shalt not scorn me or my pawns. This phenomenon is described in the book Telekinetic Thought Other Beings by Dr. Thomas Pierce. Roman Total 17, rest in peace, was born in a coal shed in Lancashire under the buzz of a defective street lamp. He was a psychic and former cabaret performer whose body was covered in tentacles. From birth, he roamed Britain as a self-proclaimed professor of speed speech. He is an honorary member of the Wakefield Young Drinkers Club. He is a big youth character cursed with mystical insight. Roman wrote letters to journalists, press releases, and program notes describing the band and their mission. He doesn't particularly like Marky e. Smith, the singer of The Fall, but he marvels at his guts. Roman authored, at least part of, a book of statements known as Underground Medicine. In the book, Roman talks of the Chorazia N, a village said to be negative Jerusalem, and his hatred of following the logically obvious and of detesting current modes regardless of their credibility or quality. Because of his tentacles, he had to go underground. It was as if his face had started leaking. Well, what a way to start. Just throw away all of the facts we know right now, and that's the end of the show. <laughs> any, any, anything controversial in those statements before we jump into the, the texts themselves? I don't think so. Great voice, though, isn't he? Isn't He's got a great voice. That's Rob, yeah, a friend, a concubine of the show, Rob McLeod. Um, so the thing that jumped out at me, though, is negative Jerusalem. I've not come across that one before. And I'm, Hold I'm on to that, then, yeah. 
As you know, Bren, I'm currently knee-deep wading through Blakeian poetry at the moment, so uh, the idea of negative Jerusalem is quite exciting. Well, that's going to raise its head sooner rather than later, so um, Danny, jump in um, wherever you want to, but I believe the first appearances we have are the letters between uh, Tony Friel and Mark that started as early as uh, October 1975, so... um, yeah. So were, they, and, and, were these actual postage letters, snail mail, stamp on it letters? How far are yeah. we talking really? <laughs> they, they, were, they were briefly posted a, several years ago by Tony Friel on his website that he had then. Um, they only stayed up for a short period of time. Um, I think um, in the end he was prevailed upon to take them down because, of course, you, you don't own the copyright in other people's letters is the thing. They were written from Mark to him. Um, so I, they, they were only up for a short period, but I, I guess every full fan who saw them at the time would have downloaded them all. So, um, yeah, so we, we have an insight into how they were talking to each other uh, at the time in letters. And they use these several different pseudonyms in, in letters to each other. Yeah, so d- tell us what Smith is signing off. What was yeah, it seems to be. Uh, seems- I, the first appearance is Cram Total. Of course, yeah. Cram is Mark backwards. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't got that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Darling has paid the big bucks. <laughs> and then apparently Friel signs one. Oh, it is addressed to Roman Total from Mars. Yeah, it's, it seems to be. It's kind of a little bit unclear as to quite quite what it is, um, because the rest of the time it seems that it's from Mark's side that the Roman Total or Roman Total yeah. thing is used. So it's not entirely obvious from the letters, but something like so, that. But yeah, it's clearly an alter ego or a. Or, or a, a kind of a pseudonym there. One, one of the pseudonyms they're using when they write to each other. There are others. Do we know, do we know where Roman actually comes from? What he's pulling on for that? I, I've looked long and hard to see if there's any kind of um, uh, previous use of that kind of name. And I, I don't see anything. I mean, Roma has got connotations. Tital has got connotations in art and architecture and things like that. But I, I haven't found anything that suggests an origin anywhere else. But I made some wild speculations. I made some wild speculations later in the in the uh, in the thing of where I think it might have come from. But I'm waiting till uh, till it emerges. There's, there's essentially three aspects I think of the um, of the persona, and I think this is the first one, which is just a pseudonym. It, I don't think at this point it's anything more than that. So Mark is, um, and this is where Fisher comes in. Mark Fisher comes in and talks about the. This uh, meta-textual kind of thing where, um, you know, this happens quite a lot in the fall, so particularly with Total around this era, that uh, Fisher says that Roman Total is not really an alter-ego, but he likens it to the, to the Randolph Carter thing that Lovecraft had, where it's kind of uh, a character. But I do think he also is a persona. I think there's... A, We'll come to it a little bit later that I think there's three aspects. And the first one is pseudonym and the second one is where he's a mouthpiece for Mark. And then the third one is the character of Roman Total and how those three things are connected. I, I think we can we'll dig into that as we come through the through the the myriad of metatextual references, as Mark Fisher might say. I, I ran Roman Total through an anagram generator, and it is an anagram of atonal metro. <laughs> um, two maternal yes. and a taro lemon. Oh, and uh, and learn tomato. So none of that helps at all. But it was fun. 
Exactly. Yeah. I think Learn Tomato might nail it. <laughs> so the first thing we come across beyond the letters, which the letters stem from 75, so, so the very early days of the band, predating the band essentially, um, up to um, 77, so a couple of years, um, Mark signs off as the great god Total, which comes back later. Mark Total Athlete 6, which I really like, which don't think there's any more references to that. Um, but the first time we really see it pop up, and I think this came from Friel's uh, letters, is in the story of Mat- Master Race, Total Psychosis, The Coming of Roman Total, um, in which um, the character Master Race has a visit from some white supremacists and uh, the madness ensues from there. Um, friend of the show, Steve, Church of the Fall has done as a solid, and he has read the story for us. So sit back and enjoy a little bit of Black Country Noir. Master Race in Total Psychosis, The Coming of Roman Total, Part the First. M. Rice had had a hard night's sleep. He was tired when he awoke. All night he'd been prone to horrible dreams, featuring some incomprehensible things, faceless gibbous and menacing. It may have been the Jamaican resin, thought Race as he got out of bed and switched his automatic stereo on, wiping out his negative thoughts with a quick upturn of the volume as the fall stepping out commenced. He just put some eggs on the boil when the doorbell rang. Oh, fuck, thought Race. Ten to one it'll be some religious nut over the straights from the flat upstairs complaining about the noise. But instead, the respectable housewife he expected wasn't there. There were just two men with suntan faces and light beige raincoats on. The smaller of the two wore a black derby hat. Good morning, senor, the small one said. We are sorry to call on you so early. Race beckoned them inside the flat cautiously. You see, senores, we have just disembarked from Madrid to Manchester Flighter. They sat on Race's sofa as he poured them a scotch each. What do you want, said Race, wiping the sleep from his eyes. As you wish, senores. I am a representative from Madrid for the Aryan Knights of Jesus Christ. My friend here represents the guerrillas of Adolf Hitler. We have an interesting offer for you. As you know, the threat of communism is spreading through our country. We will give you £5,000 sterling too. Go fuck yourself, said Rice with a sneer. Senor Rice, there is more, said the little Spaniard. I don't deal with lousy fascists. But Montcambrion, with a name like yours, we thought you would sympathise with our cause, spoke the tall man for the first time. A name is a name, goose-stepper, said Race. Now get back to Pakijolli land before I get mad. The small Spaniard rose, his cheeks flushed with rage, and said, We cannot allow you insult us in such a way. You will pay dearly. No one will know we are in England. He put his hand in his jacket. My pistola will silence your arrogant English tongue. But Race was too quick for them. The tall one got two fingers in his eyes, and the little Spaniard's gun was blasted out of his hand by Race's purity gun. Taking both of them by the collar, he threw them out on the street. The noise had attracted many neighbours, therefore making the Spaniards powerless to retaliate. Ray slammed the door and went back to his eggs. Ten minutes later, he had sharp pains in the forehead, excruciating pains that brought him to his knees. The dream he had last night came back, a vicious twitching face saying, Thou shalt not scorn me or my pawns. Race, Race fought to think through the blinding pain. What's happening? The pain subsided ten minutes later on the, on the second. 
Grace went to the bookshelf and selected the book, Telekinetic Thought of Other Beings by Thomas Pierce, and sat down to read End of Part One. And this being Marky Smith, Part Two never arrived. Jack Danny, what did you insert your thoughts on Asterisk? Well, it's, I mean, it's a nice little story, isn't it? I, well, a bit we've got, but uh, um, Roman Tatal clearly does not appear in the first section. There must have been other sections written, surely. It's just we, we didn't get them, but um, I think it's interesting. Bits of it remind me of what ended up in Hey Luciani, hmm. um, in some ways. There's bits of it, bits of it remind me of that. Um, I, I guess someone called Master Ray shouldn't be that surprised if white supremacists turn up. But. It's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Um, I... I, I... I kind of tried to, without you know, pushing it too far, work out whether the the voice that was appearing was Roman Total. But um, considering that it says the "I shall not scorn me on my pawns," it would suggest that it's unless Total is a white supremacist himself. Maybe this, there is no um, mention of Total in this story, and we've been led on a wild goose chase. The story is called "The Coming of Roman Total," so he's probably still on his way at this point. Exactly. Yes. And so that's a hand, you know, that's a typewriter written letter that essentially went uh, to to um, Tony Friel. Um, it, and the band was up and running at that point by um, by all accounts. And then we, the first time we actually get uh, Roman Total outside of that relation to the letter to Danny Baker that uh, uh, of the famous Sniffing Glue magazine, and uh, by this time writing for Zigzag. Um, and so Smith sends a letter in which he essentially describes where the band is at that time and their mission, but signs it as Roman Total. But this is one of those things. It's still at this point a pseudonym. Anything to add? Is that pretty much it? Yeah, really. I mean, it could be a, a Roy the Rovers thing, could it? You know, <laughs> a young Roy, Roy Ress. Yeah, it's just it's just um, a letter kind of on behalf of and in the name of the Roman Total for the band, isn't it? Um, I, I don't don't know that we've got any other examples of Roman Total doing that. But um... yeah, um... So the, the the letter to, to Danny Baker. Then this is is this just a promotional thing? Is he just getting the name of the band out there? I'm just wondering kind of what's going on in his head and why he's opting to do it like this, as well as it being like a bit funny do it like that i'm just wondering what else he's thinking is he like aping other sort of artistic techniques for self-promotion here is he thinking about david bowie and his alter egos or is there something else going on i, I think there's something else myself i mean this this obviously was an interview with danny baker um that got published in zigzag early 1978 so the band is still pretty new to the world at this point um danny baker of course later claimed to have discovered the fall it did a lot a lot for them but um and and the letter is just reproduced i guess there was an exchange of letters between them between uh -huh. um the interview and the publication and you know they were they, i guess it just written in that name um miss miss sense uh, and i think he we might get to this uh there's a later interview which he says that they got he, he perhaps got a bit frustrated by the way the fall was seen to begin with which was a uh, very a very kind of political image um yeah I think that gets into the second, the, the mouthpiece version, which starts to emerge now. So we move on after, uh, basically, as Dragnet, as Dragnet is coming out, this is the first time we see um, Total starting to write uh, 
press releases, liner notes, and things like that. And this is how he first kind of emerges. And so, as Rob said in that that uh, that voiceover, he the first kind of thing we get is on the back cover of Dragnet and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Make of this what you will. It just says Charles Zena End Village, location unknown, said to be negative Jerusalem from U Medicine by R Total 17. That's that's essentially oh, all we I, get. So so that's a that's a biblical reference, then, isn't it? It's the there's a there's a, a, a Bible place named, isn't there? Called, uh, I can see Danny nodding, you know this, don't you? Go on, Danny, what's the law journey? Well, the, it, yeah, it, there's kind of a some kind of biblical reference, but um, the there's a performance of Spectre versus Rector in which um, uh, the um, uh, he says uh, Mark says during the song Chorazina or Chorazina is the negative of Jerusalem, which then ends up on the on the back of Dragnet here. But um, so it, it was connected in some way to the demon in Spectre versus Rector. The the annotator Paul has got the chapter and verse on this. Uh, Chorazin was a village in Galilee cursed by Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 11. There you go. Nice. Interesting. And so he claims to be from the book called Underground Medicine, which um, Underground Medicine being um, a reference, I think, in the Burroughs book, which was called Confusingly Blade Runner. (laughs) but <laughs> wasn't what the movie Blade Runner was based on um, or, or it was it was only an influence on that um, and we don't really get much more about that but it does pop up a little bit later but within that Dragnet press release we um, cycle we get uh, a little blurb called Why Are You Smiling which is basically again Smith just um, it's not even a mouthpiece. This is just a pseudonym for Smith, I think. He's basically just explaining, but you're moving into this mouthpiece kind of thing. And I think you said, Phil, the pub landlord idea of, you know, this just allows him to say. And when we get to Second Dark Age, this is one of the things that I find the dated fall, possibly from Danny. I can't even write down who said it, but that this is Smith moving into not having to necessarily speak Um straight and and kind of getting over that idea that the fall of some political punk band and moving into the idea that there's a little bit more to them the, the the thing about underground medicine just to be clear on that obviously underground medicine was a song on live at the witch trials yeah um and it does i think i think you said this brendan that it comes out of um burroughs who who use the phrase underground medicine uh in an essay published um uh, in one of his columns for Crawdaddy magazine, so the Burroughs uses this phrase "underground medicine" several times, and it, Mark uh, has kind of used it quite quite deliberately, I think, to connect to that idea. Yeah, and he, I think, where Mark talks about it a little bit later, that that Savage Pencil interview they do in Pouncey one is really good, and um, he goes into it there. I think where he talks about the concept of underground medicine, whereas in I think Blade Runner the book it's literally about black market medicine, but but I think the the concept he's talking about with underground medicine, and I couldn't work to work out whether this was in the song as well, is this that basically drugs make you give you superpowers seems to be the suggestion that that was coming from Burroughs or or Smith's interpretation of Burroughs. They make you invincible. Well, yeah, it seems to be something like that. And and that's a theme in several early songs, I think, um, uh, in the fall. Um, um, Of course, the original concept of the Blade Runner was as someone who was a smuggled medical supplies. 
Um, so underground medicine clearly connects to that. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark uses it a little bit differently, um, uh, kind of self self medication, isn't it, and and, and that kind mm. of stuff. Um, and you did it is a little bit. It, it does pop up here and there, obviously in the song underground medicine, but elsewhere as well. Yeah, let's have a little bit of a listen. <clears throat> Although we've heard it many, many times, but you can never hear it too many. Let's have a listen to underground medicine. You have a system, you have a system, you have a system, you have a system, I'm mean, a uh, <clears throat> nice tune, of course, but I'm not really sure if it directly links into the total mythos. But um, I, I'm, I'm treating the book, Underground Medicine and the Song, as two uh, distinct things for the purpose of this very, uh, <laughs> very scientific process. It seems like he uses, Mark uses the, the kind of the concept of this book, Underground Medicine, written by Roman Tatel, just as, a, as something, something to kind of pretend to quote from as a kind of source of it, it pops up a couple of times i think in various sleeve notes or whatever just um just a couple of times um just for something as though you're quoting from a real a real yeah. book so meta meta text he could have taken it along a lot further couldn't he yeah he could have actually the written the book. yeah he could have been you know with some people, you would have been like, if this was Stanley Kubrick, you'd, you'd think he'd probably had that book written on his desk. But uh, with Smith, it's probably just up here and on a couple of beer mats, maybe. You were saying yeah, the Necronomicon? It was a standard trope with the weird writers it was into, wasn't he? Lovecraft and Howard and Black Ashton Smith. And that they all invented books, didn't they, that they could quote from to give it that sense of authority. And I think that's when you get into the third aspect, which is the character of Roman Total, which we're not quite at yet in the story. I don't think he's still treating him as somewhere between a pseudonym and now this kind of mouthpiece. And uh, we get, you know, he says in the Dragnet press release, which is November 1918, you know, there's the fall from Manchester. So what, right? But this is not the spineless usual. It's the original article. So it's just, it's just blurb it's just uh advertising copy essentially but he signs it with our total 17 um so that he doesn't have to take any responsibility for the words that he uses i think is it is it preceded by the the mention in um of fiery jack second dark age which which is earlier is that well let me see i'm not sure when so fiery jack is released in january 1980 ah, yeah, okay. uh, but, yeah. but in terms of when they were actually written it's it's hard to pin that down but yeah. <clears throat> basically we get to the song then second dark age and um and this is where and again it might have been your comment on the answer default where we talk they're talking about um the this is smith singing as Roman Total, which um, it might be the only place he explicitly does it. And he, he reveals in the song that he's the bastard offspring of Charles I and the great god Pan. Um, and suggests that the lyrics were written possibly by Roman. And um, this is a mouthpiece from us to establish that the perspective of the song is an outsider, but also to fend off the impression that MES is directly speaking from the heart, quote, the annotated fall. 
Yeah, just just on this concept of being the bastard offspring of Charles I and the great god Pan, I did a bit of checking of this. And Charles I, assuming we mean the English Charles I and not Charlemagne, is actually one of the few English kings not to have any known bastard offspring. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always took it to mean Charles I because of, I guess, the the revolution uprising turmoil yeah. but it but um this is what i got when i put my stuff into chat box <laughs> this is my one these days could it be a napoleon reference because the empire never ended is it a roman empire thing is it charles the first is it louis the 14th um chatbot suggested that the roman empire could suggest power decline imperial rule and uh, this symbol of grandeur and collapse and and we're definitely talking more about the character of roman total here rather than that the uh, mouthpiece but um uh, napoleon as his power i think that's less likely um charles the first and louis the 14th with um centralization of power and challenges to authority and then this idea of the empire never an- ended which is a pkd thing which Phil will obviously know more about and the persistence of historical influence um, that definitely could be related to the NWRA. All of those could be in the mix, but this is all pretty wild conjecture. At this Another point. one that's that's not on there that I thought about so as we were sort of building up to this episode is that in the the essay by Freud, the Uncanny, he talks about r- this weird idea of Rome built on top of Rome, where you've got these different historical images of Rome on top of each other. It's quite a weird passage in, in Freud. And to be Roman total, I wondered whether there was that was some part of, I don't think it has to be one thing, does it? But it's possibly one of the things at play in his thinking. But the PKD one, yeah, that was that was a pretty obvious one. I have to say, I'm, I'm alarmed by the idea of chat GPT also now putting full lyric annotators out of business. Um, I did have to give I it some nudges. Yes, I think you're safe for a, for a little while. It's pretty vague. It's a. I I put I posted. I asked it about um the idea of the Scots Scott Scottish men in Soho from the NWA, and it, and it said this is from an Al Stewart song, and then told me about Soho. Is it re- I, so you, you're okay for a little bit? And I listened to the Al Stewart song. And I'm like, that would be amazing if it was on the same concept. I've got a soft spot for Al Stewart, and it's uh, it'd be um, there's a if he, I was I was fingers crossed that he was also talking about the Culloden dead coming back from the graves to t- take revenge on London, but unfortunately, it was about failed jazz musicians. But um, let's have a listen to a couple of things. Let's have a listen to um, a bit of Fiery Jack, and also the second part of our story by Rob McLeod. Roman Total Seventeen is the mental talks of the Chorazia N, a village said to be negative Jerusalem. It is the story of an uprising that begins part in the failed his face had Because of his tentacles, he had to go underground. It was as if his face had started leaking. Romans part in the failed uprising of the north. It is the story of an uprising that began in the estates of the north. DJs began to worsen, and the Germans brought over trains. Tony... An opportunistic business friend of I'm giving spoilers there. I'll play that later. Let's have a little bit of a list of Fiery Jack.
So I kind of picked the total turn version because <clears throat> the idea of a turn uh, is a cabaret thing and uh, making the connection there that um, the total turns is a series of turns potentially by Roman total. Does that make, does that, does that hold true? Well, I, I was just thinking kind of a bit like that, but that you could see the fall as one of Total's turns. So if, if Roman Total is writing kind of on behalf of the band, almost like a, a, mythic, a mythic manager, then the fall would be Total's turns, wouldn't they? That would make sense. So Fiery Jack, we, we see after Dragnet, this is where I think it really hots up. Fiery Jack, January 1980, this is where the third aspect of Total, the, the character itself of the rebel cabaret artist emerges and so on the back of um fiery jack we get this statement which is communication for roman Tower 17 and statement below was found with the master tape of this record alongside the the last remains of roman total 17 it is for you the reader to judge its semblance to reality but it must be remembered that total's demise had begun well before this document was written the events which I'm about to relate concern the thing that rests alongside me. This master tape is the result of experiments which took place in the remote Welsh hills one autumn. Here the document is illegible. I have not long left now, but I urge the finder of this master tape never to unleash it on humanity. Ah, already the evil deity recall is clawing at my brain. If it is unleashed, the fall is here. The ectoplasm exercise and humanity can either eat that grenade or face the second dark age. Roman total 17. I, th I think all the Welsh stuff must connect um, to Arthur Macken. So I think there's Lovecraft in here, but Macken as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he explicitly says later about Lovecraft in there, but we know his love of Macken. I just assumed that it was recorded in oh, Wales. Yes, it was. It was Paul Studios in Wales. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I thought that that was more of a. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on the Macken thing because there's there's loads of there's there's lo been loads of Macken so far, hasn't there? Like the Great God Pan reference uh, with King Charles. I was laughing actually when you were about King Charles the uh, First and um, the Great God Pan. It's like that kind of nails something about Smith in this period, doesn't it? It's like his interests in. That turn of the, the superstitious and modern England and uh, that um, the 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 power that sort of sits behind those things, the, whether it be uh, monarchical or religious or supernatural. It's a he set up a proper miniature weird tale in very abstract terms, which obviously around the time of grotesque, we've got J. Temperance, and then we move on to things a little bit later by Job Owner, the Air Rifle, Spectre versus Rector. So it's very much in the air for for him at the time. And there's there's lots of really nice little hints in here that um that that get me thinking about, you know, who is Fiery Jack and, you know, my my brain goes off to it. It would have been one, wonderful if that was a character and these were developed more, but it would have got very silly very quickly. And it's, again, interesting that he pushed back against the political dour nature of the fall by bringing in this character <laughs> and then realised, I better not mess around too much. I'm not sure what, what, he, what his thought process was, but at some point, fairly quickly, he starts to deliberately move away from that. But... Um, Yes, second. I think that's in the Edwin Pouncey interview that we'll get to, isn't it? Yes. I think. Yeah. Is, isn't there? Um, I'm not sure if it sits here or, or later on that where he says that 
uh, and we may already have heard it, um, uh, where F, uh, F. Jack has an encounter with, with Roman Tatal. That's somewhere in here, isn't it? I can't remember where it is, though. Somewhere in the notes. It's going to come up soon. But but before we get to that, I think... Um, so I think that's in when he's pushed to give a little bit more biographical details of... of um, of him yeah. in one of the press notes but we get to fiery jack which is where he at the end he he does it's kind of this abstract song and we've obviously talked about it on on the podcast already it's kind of it's definitely dark and political and talking about an entrance into a a very dark age which you know making sense of this that the 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 the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that's on the sleeve if you play this you have released this second dark age and this is what it is and then he hits you at the end with that great line of of uh i am roman total uh bastard offspring of charles the first and the great god pan i've found a bit that, uh, i've just found a bit that danny referencing in the in the notes where it says the origins of roman total born in a coal shed under a under the buzz of a defective street lamp, and then it says an encounter forced him to withdraw from the world. That was in the Welsh Mountains as well. Yeah, so I've tried to draw draw some dots together <laughs> that that maybe the events of the NWRA is what led him to remove himself from the world. Although that song does suggest that he has a heart attack and dies at the end. But uh, minor minor plot <laughs> troubles for people like us, Phil. Our main character dying. I don't know what's even slow us down. Well, although on on the reverse of the Fiery Jack single, it does say that <laughs> demise had begun well before the document quoted there had, was written. So it feels like the death of Roman Tatal is quite a long drawn out thing. So I didn't even know he was ill. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next thing we hear. Well, let's have a list of Second Dark Age and um, see what we can take from that. Maybe says the great god Anne. Maybe we have to change, scrap it all, scrap it all. <laughs> You'll say that'll be like on the annotated fall, that'll be like a thousand messages going back and forth. Is, I, I, I'm the, I, are you sure he doesn't say Anne? I listened to like <laughs> find this this obscure like live thing where I'm definitely sure he says Anne. Um, all right, we'll stay with Pan for now then. The, the second dark age, perhaps being unleashed, of course, is seems to be um, Thatcherism because all the references you can trace in that lyric are to 1979 Fat Conference Women is the Tory party conference and the Glass House is the kind of punishment for teenagers and all that kind of stuff is is all very close to the release of the single yeah there's a lot there was a lot of that dark political change going on at that time and um, it changed his tune though didn't it later didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. and Mikey Cha Cha he was well on board Three million unemployed. I don't care as long as we're giving it to the Argies. 
Uh, next thing we come to is letter to Matthew, which again he's back in just um, just a pseudonym at this point. Um, where basically Matthew has dared to ask him for some lyrics, and he basically says, "No, we don't do that kind of thing." But I will give you the the scraps that are already on the back of Dragnet. And then he starts to, um, I guess, there's a couple of gigs where he starts to introduce himself as, um, or, or obliquely, he says, where the fall meet my sidekicks are total 17's sidekicks. He's kind of maybe building up this character a little bit more and bringing it into existence. And that's where I thought was a good place to drop in this, uh, this idea of the alter egos and pop specifically. Um, Ziggy Stardust, insane. Dave Bowie, set back England music in this country 20 years. Dave Bowie, this, Dave Bowie, that. Um, although interestingly enough, Nicki Minaj has an alter ego. Oh, I was gonna drop this. I found go for it, go for it, Rob. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to the other guy last night. She started saying, Are you gonna be talking about Nicki Minaj? I was like, What the hell? And yeah, she's got an alter ego called Roman Zelensky. She did a track with Eminem. And it's god-awful. I listened to it last night. It's one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever heard. I and like I love it. it. Yeah, I love, I love it. it. So it is a bit dodgy calling yourself after Roman Polanski, though, surely, but we're not getting in. We're, mm. we're not going to touch on that. Uh, maybe she. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe she had a friend whose <laughs> name was Zolansky. So that brings us to, um, yeah, D-Bowie. What, what do we... What anything to add uh, about this this idea of Smith? Maybe well, he's had he's had a few alter egos. It's a very deliberate sort of thing with Bowie, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of part of his MO and the way that he does stuff. And it, in some ways, it's quite a shrewd capitalist move in terms of you know he's he's always got a new project, even though it's essentially all just musical theatre. His his albums. But he kind of reinvents his characters, doesn't he? Famous for like the Thin White Duke and Ziggy Stardust and, and these these kind of um, characters that he seems to develop. But they're always quite pantomime, I think. It's it's that musical oh. theatre thing with Dev Boy, isn't it? Whereas Smith is not that interested in the theatrical side of it. It's, it's kind of a more of an intellectual concept for him to toy around isn't it like backhanded almost call him a, a failed cabaret artist rather than ziggy stardust who is the greatest rock and roll star of all time and um aladdin's saying is essentially just a, a variation on on ziggy stardust from what i understand but there's a quote here that i got from this thing called trash theory um there's this um there's this um Cycle Trash Theory that did a really a good article on um, Aladdin Sen, and, and the quote was, Ziggy was meant to be clearly cut and well-defined with areas for interplay, whereas Aladdin is pretty ephemeral. And it was interesting, I think, um, obviously Roman Total was was not very fleshed out. It was very much this kind of ephemeral thing that he could wear as lightly or as heavily as he wanted for a few years. I, th- I mean, I'm a bit fussy about me, David Barry. I don't like all his stuff. And I do think of it, just as you said, Phil, as theatre, really, and it is playing a role. Um, are there any examples of Bowie kind of adopting the character for press statements or anything like that? Or did he not really do that? He just kept it on stage? I don't know enough about him. I think not so much maybe Aladdin's same, but I, I do get a feeling that, that Ziggy Stardust was there or thereabouts, but I don't know if he ever did 
interviews in character or whether it was no, always I've, clear? I've never seen him interview in character like you're, like you're getting on. No. I've, I've only ever seen him be... It's always like a backstage interview and it's like David Bowie getting ready to be Ziggy Stardust or getting ready to be Elijah Sane or whatever it is the show that he's doing. So I, I, I don't think he did take it on like that. And I, I think it is just a just an artistic thing. And for but for Smith, it, it's like I don't know. It's there is there is the artistic thing, but it's like he's trying to make a statement with it as well, isn't it? It's like he's got a critique that he's aiming at it with. With Bowie, it's a bit fun, it's playfulness, it's cab. It is cabaret. It is all that kind of show and glitter and feathers and all that kind of thing and wax pen. Whereas for for Smith, it feels like he's trying to make an artistic critique about something. And also trying to kill it possibly at the same time, so nobody else tries it. And uh, you know, yeah, I think it's it. ironic. I've thrown in a bit of D Bowie. Here. Have a listen. This is him in full Aladdin sane mode. But um, no, do we have to? <laughs> one of the, the um, really, Brendan, if you're gonna if you're gonna play some some music by uh, somebody who adopted a character would stay in character for hours and hours and hours. Play some Frank. Tell you what. I'll play some David Bowie and I'll have a look for some good Frank while it's playing. digress too far anyway that's enough dave bowie um so we get to another couple of gigs um finsbury park good evening where the farmer on the town these are my sidekicks so he names himself he's done it there's the smoking gun and i will lead you on to new visions of proletariat posterity this is a story and i think then he does go into nwra and that brings us to Total's turn to the press release. And I think this is where, yeah, it really cranks up into Total's on the scene. Um, it, the beginning bit is just him, again, just setting out some advertising stuff about how great the fall are. And uh, our Total says this is probably the most accurate document the fall ever released. And then he quotes again from You Medicine. I have this natural thing which hates following the logically obvious and detests current modes regardless of their credibility or quality. 
Um, and then we get into, yes, I guess, some meaty total mythos. Um, born in a coal shed under the buds of a defective street lamp, roamed Britain as a self-proclaimed professor of speed speech and fled from, fled from Lancashire, settled in the Welsh mountains in 79 until an encounter with F. Jack forced him into withdrawal from the world. Mental manifestation of the fall camp dwells underground while above him trends grind on slowly and sickly. It's a great bit of writing, really, isn't it? It's funny and, you know, I, not many people do this. We're t- talking about David Bowie and Cat, lots of, lots of um, rock and roll artists have adopted stage names and, and that kind of thing. And you, you get Captain Beefheart and Black Francis and Sasha Fierce and, you know, Bono did it few times so lots of that but I, I can't think really i did look i couldn't find other examples of people doing what smith did with this i just couldn't see anything obvious anyway no i had a look too and that's where i uh, i was reminded of the roman um zelansky for, but um no it's him spreading this character across all these things i mean one of the things is that not many people had control over their press releases, their album covers, their, their every everything, right? So it's kind of like by retaining control over everything and basically being the boss of the fall, he was able to make sure that whatever was doing next, and, and, and then it just perfectly makes sense, right? So if you're going to have to like talk to a graphic artist and then talk to the press guy and, and talk, it's like, but if you're doing all that stuff, then of course, one day you're writing a press release, the next day you're writing lyrics, the next day you're, you're, do, you're doing the cover. And it's like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that this character just starts to appear in all of these places. One of the interesting things to me is a lot, obviously, some of this stuff got on the back of records, but a lot of it would, at the time, would only have been seen by the journalists that received the press releases. So he was very much creating something for them to begin with. Some of these things got reprinted, but the audience for it was small at the time, but he was doing it anyway. And that's interesting to me because writing like this, you know, it takes time, doesn't it? You can't. It's not. It's not dashed off. He's put a little bit of effort into it, into these little snatches of text for an audience of what dozens of people. It's an interesting strategy, isn't it, for him to say, "I don't like the fact that we're perceived as this dour punk band, so I'm going to in, in create this character, but then I'm going to kind of feed it not just to the public, but also to the press in in strange and unusual ways." It's, it's not too dissimilar to something that became like a viral marketing kind of thing where um, you, you know, you're kind of, you know, precog, isn't it? You see, he's like, it okay, reminds we're gonna... me a lot of something like Andy Kaufman as well, like the kind of stunt that he would pull to, do you know what I mean? Like the wrestling thing or something like that, where it's just, you're playing with the, the mechanisms of promotion and perception. Aren't you? It's that's, that's where he's showing a bit of his, uh, intellect i guess and his creativity yeah so then we get on the back of tata's turns you'd be better buying this one than any of the others mentioned in the handout you're now reading and we hear the first mention of the yet unborn son of our total it will we shall come to hear much more about so we we hear roman's uh death and his birth before we hear about his greatest defeat in this song, NWRA, um, who is Fiery Jack and what is part in the total story? We we can only 
um, make a guess at that. Now, following the death of Roman, his son Joe Total began to write press releases from a safe house somewhere in England or in September of 1980. So this is really all within the same year. But it's just just putting out so much great stuff, right? You know, so Dragnet's coming out, Grotesque is on the horizon, Tartal's Turns is is the Fiery Jack single. Um, so totally why press release comes out. There's a suggestion that Joe is a bit more tough and he's a bit more knowing. Um, and he again is, is the mouthpiece. He's basically talking about how great Totally Wired is and how um the only reason you'll know this is because it was well documented. Beautiful line. That's great. Just, um, I just wanted to reverse a second, um, because uh, with the um, with the totals turns sleeve and so on, you've got you've got the call yourself bloody professionals thing on the back there, yeah. um, signed R Tatel. But uh, it appears then as Roman Tatel eighteenth, so he's he got his numbers wrong there. But um, uh, as an honorary member of the Wakefield Young Drinkers Club, Tatel of course had something in common with Marky e. Smith, who was also a member of the the Wakefield Young Drinkers Club and his membership card came up at uh, a recent auction didn't it a few I months saw ago. that on Twitter yeah 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 in which his name is given as Marquis Smith the 17th <laughs> new facts emerge yeah yeah interesting um do, do you know anything about this Wakefield Drinkers Young Drinkers Club was it just a a, a fun was it a football related thing or just uh, well it I don't know if it was football related, but it, it was around, I think it was around the Labour Club or, or one of the clubs that a, a lot of the kids were drinking around. And, and there are some, there were people associated with a fanzine, I believe, as well. I, I've, um, I've forgotten a lot of stuff. I did a bit of research. Some of the people that still pop up occasionally on Facebook and so forth uh, who were there. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, um, you know, a group of people. And obviously Mark was part of it and had his card. It's interesting um, that he aligned himself with Yorkshire. You know, not something yeah. he did very often. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, just um, as well on some editions. I'm not sure all editions of Tatal's terms. There's a run out groove message, um, which says "RT is dead. Long live RT." Okay. One of those porky prime cuts type things, I think. Rough trade, because I did think that RT obviously, yeah, that was something that struck me early light. on. Yeah. Um, and I wondered, I didn't go back and look what Rough Trade 17 was, what release number 17. Maybe I'll do it while we're, uh, while we're, while we're listening to something. So Sounds Magazine, big enemy style magazine at the time, got a letter signed from Joe Total. And then at Manchester Poly, uh, before NWRA, which is um, being played around this time, um, if this is a story about a rising nil chance, nil chance as documented documented by the son of Roman Total 17. His son's name is Joe, and he was a vicious character who could kill you with one touch. But we're, be, before we actually get to NWR, this grotesque is released. And it seems that Roman left some sleeve notes, a di- didactic discourse from the shell of our Tortel. Uh, they were edited by his vicious son, Joe. And he quotes his father, the fall will outlive your sins. Um, and then he goes on it, on that album to tell the story of uh, his father's greatest failings. The, the, the fall will outlive your sins is kind of biblically accurate, isn't it? If you think there, about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess if you're talking about the fall in its in its um, original sin, original yeah. sin, exactly. Yeah. The fall of man outlives the original sin. 
And the fall of man, of course, followed the rebellion of Satan. So the fall, um, the, uh, uh, the fall has begun appears in the lyrics of North Will Rise Again. And I always, I always think there's a double meaning there a little bit. That's probably me overanalyzing. No, I, I think um, it wouldn't have taken Smith long to jump from, oh, the fall, the Camus book, where it started to be like, oh, there is some scope in this name. <laughs> you know, it's it, it holds quite a bit of uh, depth. Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah, we get a little bit of on the grotesque press release where uh, Joe is now talking about his, his father, his father and uh, the 60 percent pure prophecy of the songs on grotesque. Roman Total is dead. Long live Joe Total. The last words were, if I will live your sins. And in the didactic discourse, we um, get a description of the NWRA song, which um, Smith seems to have been disappointed it wasn't lauded as the greatest work of creation in uh, in history, but um, there's still time. But he talks about <coughs> how Jay Total describes the death of his father as a very personal thing, but necessary and to the good. Um, you thought it would be great. And so, yeah, we move on. And um, essentially, Joe is kind of blathering on a little bit as a mouthpiece of Smith. Um, every class gets what's coming to it. And then we move on to, I would say, the... That's such a great Wyndham Lewis type line, that, isn't it? The best, <laughs> yes. So, so uh, yes, the centrepiece of this discussion, this NWRA song from Grotesque in November 1980, which was first played back in May. So it, it kind of around the same time that a lot of um, <coughs> Fiery Jack and Second Dark Age were kind of coming out just a few months that's where NWS... you play this as well. But one of the things I was going to ask is, do you, do you think the the stuff that he's doing with Total is similar to what we were talking about when we did um, Before the Moon Falls? You know, where he's like expanding the myth of what a band can be. And in that introduction to Before the Moon Falls, he's on about them coming back from like, you know, musical pilgrimages. And then it's like they're almost becoming like a detective agency. And then, and then like the Total stuff is another way of like stretching out that band mythology, isn't it? About what a band can be and how far you can push that identity in the, in the cultural imaginary. There you go. Can't get more Mark Fisher than that. But there's, there's something in, in art theory kind of modernist art futurist art about kind of total art isn't there everything is an artistic construction in different mediums and you use them all so why why not make the band part of that i suppose yeah i think it was yeah not necessarily a conscious decision other than just this is another opportunity to tell a story to make that myth and he clearly loved myth and mythical things and he's he's literally quoting gods the bible the roman empire He's bringing all the big guns at this point to this character. Um, total Roman. Let's have a listen to NWRA. It happened, we walked through all the states, from Manchester right into Newcastle. In Darlington, helped a large man on his own chase off some kids who were chucking bricks and slashed off through his flat window. She had a way with people like that. He cussed us and we moved on. Junior Choice played one morning. The song was English Scheme, man. They changed it and did a grand piano and turned it into a love song. How they did it, I don't know. How they did it, I don't know. DJs has worsened since the rising. Elaborating on nothing, I'm praising the track. 
with words they could hardly pr pronounce in telephone voices. I was mad and laughed at the same time. Joe Total Are they yet unborn son? part in the failed uprising of the North. It is the story of an uprising that began in the estates of the North. DJs began to worsen, and the Germans brought over trains. Tony, an opportunistic business friend of Roman, set out to destroy the rising. Roman is hiding, as he senses the uprising will not go well because of uprisers themselves, the sickly blind. He is wearing an ostrich headdress. His face is a mess covered in feathers. He is orange-red, with blue-black lines that drape down to his chest. His body is a mess of tentacles and light blue plant heads. Roman, or Joe, is watching the uprising on TV. Tony has... Where to start? Where to start with this? Danny, the North will rise again. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? I just... Well, I'm sure you've talked about it on the podcast many times. What what's interesting? Just I mean, it's pretty basic music behind this though as well, which is really, I, and, but it still holds the attention. And the the stuff in the lyrics here, when I was looking at it, a, a lot of the stuff he talks about at the beginning, the the Queen Mother hitting town. Um, at the time uh, he was writing this, they were visiting the area. The Queen Mother was visiting at the time. All of this is um, well documented. Uh, so and and so I'm pretty sure that they were playing a song that um, uh, on Junior Choice that they were listening to as they drove around and all that kind of stuff. It, it all it's all quite realistic, a bit like um, uh, uh, a lot a lot of the songs at the time, Second Dark Age. A lot of the stuff you can track down to actual events in the world, um, which gives it a kind of a realist edge that it might not otherwise have. I like I like things like that. You you'd only know about it if you looked at the newspapers from the time. But yeah, the Queen Mother was visiting Edinburgh. Yeah, it's so the story itself is flashing back between time periods. And me and Phil were talking about this the other day, which is very easy to do when, you, when you're literally just writing on a piece of paper. You can play around with characters and types. And much harder, obviously, if, it's a, if you're trying to make a, a coherent narrative or a film or something. But... Um, you know, this idea of, and there was a lot about, of, about in modernist lit, literature, and I, I reminded of things like Catch-22, where you're retelling different parts of the same story from different perspectives, but sets it out a little bit more. Um, I'd like to tell Phil at the time I tried to read the first chapter of The Sound and the Fury while I was um, coming down with a fever and i thought i was losing my mind because it's written from the perspective of a kid who's mentally challenged and and um it just wasn't making sense it just wasn't going in but once you read it and you pick this apart like the song here 
most of it seems to make sense. There's a, an uprising, a Roman is is hiding, he's gone underground, he's wearing this crazy elaborate <laughs> outfit, which uh, I'll show you my uh, my uh, AI-generated attempts at in a little while, but um, it's a beautiful description um, of the, the plant heads and so what on. Is, what is interesting on the, on the AI stuff is it's really led into that ostrich vibe, wasn't it? And um, yeah. when I... When I heard those lyrics and was sort of mentally conjuring up an image of what I thought he looked like. It was more of that showgirl kind of cabaret thing. You know what I mean? Because they're always described as having ostrich feathers on. Um, and the tentacle thing I took more as a more, more as a poetic way of describing some quite fluffy outfits. But it's it's really gone for the whole Lovecraft Lovecraft vibe. You're, you're well, I, I went to I went to um, Artbot and I gave it a few a few prompts and I'll I'll try, if it's possible I'll link these in the show <laughs> description. But you can see they're all good value. I was oh, going to, the other thing I was going to say just quickly is when the, the First, when we first started to get to know each other, when I first met you, I mm. was knocking around with some bikers. So when I when I hear the phrase "the North will rise again," the first thing that comes to my mind is all the like Confederate paraphernalia and the South will rise again. And it's like it's a rallying cry, isn't it, in America? Yeah, it's about that time period. And it's it which links it into the country and northern music that Danny made reference to, this very twangy, repetitive music that's going on banjo-esque. Okay. Almost yeah, yeah. Guitar on it. And it, I've always heard those kind of records first in this piece. And then the the other kind of narrative that builds up this this kind of uh the the so so you you not ran an article yesterday didn't you about the riots that were going on in 79 in Southall and, and the the kind of general milieu of the country at the time that yeah. sort of yeah. it was the cusp of Thatcher wasn't it coming in or she'd just been voted in in 79 I guess wasn't it and there was there's a big was, rise in National Front and and um the Southall well, riots it was, it, was, it was just it was a big rise in street politics is what happened because it was both sides you don't have both sides going out into the no. street. What's interesting is, is that the, the big riots that we know of, the Brixton riots and so on, Toxteth, were a little bit later, I think, 81. Um, whereas these earlier ones in London, um, yeah, were very much centred well, around that, the National Front. Article, the article you sent round implied that they were like race riots. But when you got into it, it was left versus right riots. It was communist versus fascists in the street, wasn't it? Whereas later on, you did get things like top stuff, which were like racially sort of inspired. Sure, yeah, yeah. This is politics in the street, isn't it? More so, political, sure. And that's what he's getting at in this song as well, isn't it? Is the fact that it's a political uprising that's going on. That is, is what he's referencing to, but it's got this cultural... That's why I took the cabaret thing to be about is the fact that it's a it's an uprising that starts in, in like in the Weimar Republic where it's based around these kind of free thinking places. That was the that was my turn. The revolution one starts the, in the toilets. <laughs> one of the <laughs> things. Back. <laughs> one of the things that um, people say about this song sometimes is that it predicts the later riots, forgetting that there were the earlier ones. Sure, yeah. Um and I I was maybe aware but I'd forgotten that those the Southall riots were kind of the, the earliest kind of manifestation of that stuff during the, the Thatcher 
era, but it was just um, like if you're writing politically charged songs, although doing it through a mouthpiece so that you can say that you're not, um, you're probably going to be feeding into that stuff. So this is not a surprise, but it's really interesting how he does it. It's quite, it's a very light and jaunty take on revolutionary politics. I want to bring in Alistair and, um, Alistair and Ezra, if they've got anything to, to add to the NWRA thing. Al? Well, I mean, like, I never really listened to the lyrics, do I? Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff here that you're talking about that I, I couldn't really get into too much. For me, it's just having a laugh with all this stuff. And I reckon if he was still alive, he'd just be taking the piss out of us for digging it into into it for so much because uh, at the end of the day it's a lot of nonsense isn't it well it is but similar to Luciani <laughs> yeah, similarities there, but, you know, Smith took you it seriously it. though I think he took this stuff seriously so it's a laugh I think he was doing it humorously and joking piss out of us for digging it into, digging it into it in such but, detail but he'd secretly love it like, oh yeah secretly <laughs> love the attention he's listening in right now I can I can see him in the vibrations Ezra, uh, yeah, any, 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 exactly. Anything uh, on the NWRA or the Roman Total Mythos? Um, well, on the NWRA, I think it's like, yeah, you know, on a lot of days, this is probably my favourite full song of all time. Um, okay. Not always, not every day, but it's like musically, I just love the swing to it. I love the kind of the way that it changes while simultaneously doing so little and uh, yeah, the description and the storytelling in it—it's really beautiful. And and with the totale thing, um, you know, it was interesting hearing you guys talking about stuff like Bowie and whatnot. Like the thing that comes to my mind is uh, Hunter S. Thompson and Raoul Duke, because you, we you, you know we all know that Smith was a big fan of of Thompson as well, and like you know Thompson kind of used Raoul Duke within his correspondence, much like press releases, um, to talk in, like, a different voice or just to, like, you know, throw a bit of smoke and mirrors uh, across the whole thing of it. And it seems to me very much like, you know, Totali kind of came about in a similar way for Smith because he didn't want to give across, give the obvious appearance of being a cottage industry of him and Kay Carroll. Um, You know, he wanted to like project an image of a shadowy organization with many fingers and many pies. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like that's kind of how it came about. Obviously, you know, like it came about through uh, interband socializing, I guess, but yeah. And then, you know, like it gets fleshed out to the point of like the uh, NWRA and then he gets a bit tired of it and knocks it on the head. Um, you know, like one of the great things about this whole kind of like modernist prose thing is that you never actually have to finish anything, you know, and I'm sure that Smith took full full advantage of the fact that being a modernist writer meant you could just write a couple of pages and then just leave it on your shelf forever. Um, and, you know, power to him for that. Part one. Everything's part one, isn't it? Yeah. Did, did, um, um, did any of you had a view on... Because you've got the first bit where they're kind of touring Darlington and Newcastle and Edinburgh, and then it goes into I'm Joe Tal Tal. Do, do we think that Joe Tal Tal is the one who's touring Darlington and the North, and then he comes in and says who he is? Or do we think, do we think it shifts between 
Mark or the narrator and then Joe and then the rest of the story. I, I've never quite worked that out because there's a reference to um, kids smashing windows and it says she had a way with people like that, which I've always thought was probably supposed to be Kay Carroll. But um, I, ju I just wondered whether we whether it kind of breaks in as Joe halfway through that. I don't know if it's as neat as that. I think um, no, probably not. I, I tried to parse it to some degree, and then there'd just be a line later that was like, "This sounds like it was said by a Roman or somebody else." Ostensibly, I treated it as basically like the beginning part was Roman kind of saying stuff, and then basically once it does switch to "I'm Joe Tatal," the the rest of it is him. But then it didn't quite make sense that Tony then turns up in his apartment and they have a fight because it's like. Have we now flipped back and he's watching? And I think he, I think this was you on the annotated fall where somebody was going on about how the possibility of somebody's unborn son could be commenting on something. The unborn are not known for their conversation or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I always felt like um, uh, the, the, the first part is like a kind of uh, man on the street. It seems like, like it's adapted from maybe Smith's tour diary or something, but it's totally, like a yeah. man on yeah. the street. You experience this from, you know, the uh, the kind of position of the layman as such, and then we switch into Totali's stuff. One thing that I've noticed is, like, a lot of all this as-yet-unborn son, father, dead stuff, like, it all feels like it comes from the Cam song, Mushroom. Do you not think? Because he, he does this in a few songs that I've noticed recently. And, you know, like, uh, what was it in, in, what's the Cam lyric? When I saw Mushroom Head, I was born and I was dead. It just always feels like, well, not always, it only occurred to me recently, but, you know, it, it, it feels like it all kind of blooms like a spore from, from Mushroom Head somehow. That's a good call, because I think you can just flip on a switch. If you're writing, suddenly I'm changing perspective. And I don't need to be particularly clear who's who's saying it. But I think, if you, I think the best thing I've heard um, to make sense of it is that he's potentially looking back for many years and he's talking about at the time when Roman was doing this, Roman was doing this, he wasn't he wasn't born. But that doesn't make sense with the earlier stuff where he's literally writing as the unborn son of Joe. But I don't think it's what's the, you know, it's 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 allegorical, it's metaphorical, it's symbolic. It's, you know? it, it's been interesting since we did uh all the, the, the stuff with Hair Luciani started to pick up on these little mechanisms that he uses in the text. Like every time he shouts the word shift, you think there's some kind of time shift going on or it's you know a character shift or something. So I, I think that's a big clue in the middle of it, isn't it? Um but it's I, I also, you know, off, almost going back to what Al said, I think sometimes he's deliberately slippery in some of this stuff, isn't he? He's being playful with with some of it, I mean, it can be you can have an overall intent of what you're doing it, and have some tactical silliness in the the language that you're using from time to time. So I think there's there's a dollop of that going on. But, but I think that's um, why you do investigate these things, and you have, there is fun to be had in yeah. it, right? And so Smith, yeah. I, th I think Smith was was more invested in this stuff than just doing it, dashing it off and throwing it. Maybe he actually did that, but he felt in his heart, I think, if you read the writer's guide to writing, he's he takes well, writing seriously. He, he wants said, you to analyze it. You said this when we were doing the, the stuff on the Hell and Shiny script, and 
without a shadow of a doubt, he had a golden thread in his head of a story that he was telling with that. And you can see it. The, the longer you spend with the, the actual words, the, the more clear it is what he's trying to do. And that's modernist art, isn't it? That's what we keep going back to with all this stuff, is that these are modernist strategies in terms of how you can tell a story. Or how it's it's easy to dismiss, right? And you can if you want. That's absolutely the case, <laughs> right? But yeah. you don't want to be saying, well, oh, I don't bother do, looking at that stuff in any detail because it's nonsense. But you can say that. Al said it and he's entitled to his yeah, opinion. But what you don't want to say is people who do dig into it are wrong because they get different gold out of it, right? So it's kind of, I think, you spend as much time with it as you want and dig. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're not saying Mark Smith wrote this and wanted us to to pass over it and, and, uh, and dig into it and get the final answer. But... Um, that's what we did. We've cracked it, lads. Um, just just um, as someone who does dig into things way too much, just I, I feel like uh, I, I, ought to, I ought to say it, it is fun to do it. And you find stuff like, you know, what were the colour of the metro trains at the time? They were yellow, you know, and then I, I, I like that. So he's, he, there's a realism. But this song, although, the fa- you know, it shifts time and it, uh, you're not quite clear necessarily who's talking all the time and, he will, he will have moved verses around and taken stuff out just to mess with us because that was part of his strategy. But this is actually one of the more straightforward story songs that he does. Um, some of the others are much more difficult to work out. Even Spectre versus Rector, it's, it's, it's much harder with that even to kind of work out why what's going on where and, and, and what the episodes of it mean. So this is, this is in some ways, um, one of the simpler forms that he, that he's written, I think. I was going to ask what people think of his politics in the song. Do you think he's being cynical? Do you think he's, do, is it of its time? Is it, uh, is, is the, is this something that he is trying to get at that's quintessentially about the North always losing or is it what's, do you know what I mean? What's he, what's his, what's the subtext of? I, I, I think he's taking an, a kind of an ironic position. I think it is kind of is saying, wouldn't it be, you know, imagine what the the uh, an, a modern day rebellion of the North would look like, and it could be a uh, a kind of um, Roman Tatar esque carnival kind of libertarian yeah. kind of revolution, but also, but it would probably go wrong. It'd probably be co opted by by the likes of the business friend Tony would. You'd, you'd have you'd have the bloodthirsty revenge in Soho, you know. So he, I think um, there's there's a kind of a, a sense in which he's wanting to imagine a future, but aware that it it probably won't turn out like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's difficult to read a political position into it, but because there isn't one there. But it is kind of there's something he, he he's referring to something that a lot of people would kind of want and perhaps he would want in some way but it's, it's kind of saying but mm, it'd go wrong recently i've kind of read it as um his like broadside against tony wilson and the kind mm. of gentrification of manchester because you know like manchester was obviously i guess around that time going through a bit of a boom because you had the joy division and buzzcocks and um you know the four themselves and and it continued to go as like a cultural center. I'm not sure what from what time the Smiths start to figure into it. Um, and 
you know, like I, I kind of read it as like when you're playing London at its own game and playing the in- music industry at its own game, then you're going to lose all of the things that make the specific location so special, mm. you know, and like he's kind of showing it as a kind of a, an almost a cult site, you know, like, uh, or not specifically in this song, but, you know, like in other tracks, like maybe City Hobgoblins or, you know, many others. And so, yeah, you know, like I, that's kind of how I, how I was thinking about it today when I read the lyrics uh, one more time. Good try, but I think it's very clearly precog for new labor. It's there's only one also, company yeah. it could be. Uh, so in in parts of America, they're in um, during end, at the NWRA um, part. He says uh, he says this. I'll play you what he says actually. So he says, uh, he went and ripped off my ideas. Tony, he just ripped off our Total. He's been ripping off that guy for so long. I can't tell the difference from Total and Tony's songs. Shots fired. But at whom? <laughs> let's, let's, I'm, I'm taking that's as close as we're going to get that it's Tony Wilson. Um, that's the smoking gun right there, isn't it? Yeah. But the smoke also, obscures the target. Yes. In this version, he, he's like saying something as well in the in the choruses where it's like, is he saying chow? I mean, it sounds like it, it, it's almost just like a kind of speed adult noise, like chow, chow. But listening again to that today, I was like, is it meant to be like chow? You know, like as in a as in yuppie talk, like maybe yeah. Tony Wilson would <laughs> sing chow. Could be. Uh, to, to uh, Very good. Oh, I reckon like- good thought. There's this idea that the NWRA stands for the Northwest Republican Army, which maybe is an, allu- an allusion to the IRA and the Irish connection. There's not, nothing in the song that I can see of that. And the the uprising is not um, a terrorist one in that sense, if that's how we would refer to those. They, um, it is much more, it's unclear as to how the uprising even succeeded and then failed, to be honest. It, was all, it all happened. In the shadows. Yeah, he's not provided enough detail of the precise political evolution of this revolution, has he? Where, where does it come from? Where does it go? And why does it fail? I, I think it's impossible to see NWRA and not think of IRA. And he he would have known that. Um, but on the other hand, it, it would have been quite a long title if he'd left it. Yeah. Uh, this you, idea you can't write that and not have IRA also somewhere. But no, but no it's, not, it's not that kind of thing at all. No. Other than knocking shop stuff off ladders. And uh, that kind of raising the Arndale. Exactly, yeah. it would have been one thing if he just said raising the corn exchange, wouldn't it? But that's um, right. yeah. that would have been quite a powder keg. But um, revenge for the Culloden dead is something he brings up in also in backdrop, um, which has led some people to suggest that backdrop may be a sequel to NWRA because it does. Um, to follow a similar idea of moving through different temporal and character perspectives, and it does go back to this idea of the Jacobite 
rising, which again is hinted at in the in in the North will rise again. I did. I wasn't sold that that backdrop had that many connections. I think it maybe just followed a similar um, format, a similar way to approach themes. Yeah, I, I feel like backdrop is more about time streams colliding and leaking into each other more than anything. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna try and do that but he clearly had an interest in the jacobites and all that kind of stuff yeah civil war yeah. and so on and so the time thing is very explicit in, in wings and maybe a few others but wing, wings for sure um which is more sci-fi i guess rather than this uh um speculative futures and pasts um um yeah mark fisher as we've mentioned a few times writes some very interesting stuff on that but i think we've covered the majority of it um and essentially though we leave roman's fate he has a heart attack at the end there's a suggestion that maybe he dies but then we find out that uh backwards in our timeline but forwards in his he must have ended up in the welsh hills somewhere uh before he met his end and he was forced underground yet again by f jack um and then the next time we hear about him is the is in Bolton of all places when he says uh, this next one's about Joe Total entering the World Darts Championship. Unfortunately, we didn't get NWRA Part Two, in which we found out uh, quite whether he hit a uh, hit a bullseye like Jim Bowling. I I can't remember. Um, quite what I did here, but I remember looking at whether the World's Dart Championships was taking place at the time of that Bolton gig or not. I can't remember what I concluded, but it will have been a real-world reference, I'm pretty sure. So it could have been, maybe the the World Darts was being done in Bolton. I can't remember. I imagine something like that. Well, well, sure, googling that, (laughs) Um, I was going to ask, the the Fiery Jack reference that keeps coming up, I've, I can't remember where I've seen it, but I've definitely seen some kind of link to that being like, a, and it makes the thing about it being about all drinkers, but um, like it being a reference to devils, like Fiery Jack and the Fiery Ring and all that kind of thing. And it's like, I wonder, is that is that a reference to the, to, it's not the same thing, but in his head, like the whole Great God Pan link with this is like the, the kind of supernatural bit that's going on. And then, Fiery Jack being like a supernatural comeuppance at the end. Could be, couldn't it? There's a lot of Johnny Cash in Fiery Jack as well. But yeah, um... yeah again, it, I think it's a very, um, it's a, it's a, just a little a sketch. The Fiery Jack It's not really too much in there, other than he does suggest. Um, it's a very, it's, it sounds like a folk devil kind of name, though, doesn't it? Yeah, Fiery yeah. Jack. Lucifer of Lancashire. We know that he's, he's not yeah. a. Um, you know, but what, one thing to notice there in the lyrics, I said, "Eat this grenade." You'll recall that from one of the total texts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make of that what you will. Yeah, put down left wing tirades, so that would bring him into a conflict with Roman, who was uh, leaning a little left from what we can, from what, what we think, as some other people have been on this show. Fiery Jack was also a heat rub that they used to use in sports for, for injuries. <laughs> Yeah, I've got an old tin of that, yeah. (laughs) Devil's heat rub. So then the next thing we come across is in January 81, and we're kind of coming towards the end of the the R Total and J Total story. And this is with Edwin Pouncey, who's um, 
Savage Pencil and who did the, the cover for Live Dream of Casino Soul, amongst other things. I'd love to get to him on here and quiz him about that kind of stuff. And um, But Smith reveals quite a few things to me. Obviously, trust parents and he lets him in on quite a few things here and he's basically saying that uh, there's an irony where you make extreme statements and it can actually mean the opposite which you know obviously he was very good at and he talks again as you said there um phil about the south will rise again and um you know country and western and and um then he throws in that you know because he's talking about manchester the andale center and this mythology um you know, ties in directly to the idea of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos. So it wasn't just, um, so it was deliberate by the sounds of it to build this mythos. Um, touches on the underground medicine stuff from Burroughs. Um, um, yeah, and then he, he basically talks about how he doesn't want to basically go too much into it uh, because that's part of the attraction and uh, he wouldn't have left us anything to talk about would he be dispelled it all out so it's so thanks for that mark but then he says i killed him off the wrap on the back of fiery jack is the manuscript that roman tatar left um it's macken's influence it's lovecraft's cthulhu mythos um i've always imagined him as some sort of a big youth character cursed with mystical insight i i Love that idea. So let me play you some Big Youth. I'm assuming he means the same Big Youth that he's the reggae artist. Um... The idol vital and the idol galore. So the dead are the tableau. It's a land we go. Gonna pick up, pick up stuff, you know. That is real and true. Been traded in the I will praise the Oja with all my heart. I will ever praise thee continually. It was the same say to ask why do the Indian rage and the people imagine vain things. It was the same false kings that set themselves and the false rulers to counsel together against his imperial majesty, Emperor Ailey Aishalasia. So the Uranus times appointed to reign and earth is now. They came to break down pressure and to set high. So that was. Um... Natty cultural dread and all nations bow. And the reason why I chose that all nations bow, <laughs> the delivery, very similar to Smith's delivery in NWRA, could be a total coincidence, but that delivery and the, the actual concept of that song is very much about uprising and rebellion, which you know a lot of reggae songs are. But this um I just thought it was a it was very interesting parallel to to that, and for him to say, uh, you know, Romantel was a was a big youth character. Because big youth, is, you know, I've seen a few interviews with him. He's quite he's a gregarious chap, and um, it's interesting. wasn't wasn't sure where to where to go with that. No, well, uh, we we know not just from this quote, but from elsewhere that Mark was a big fan of big youth and um, what you, Roy, yeah, and, and, you know, um, and, yeah, but it. it, it 
it, it's um, it's not an obvious connection, is it? If he hadn't have said it, we wouldn't have guessed it. There's nothing in there that suggests that this character Robert Tatal is a Rastafarian who's, you know, um, mystical. The only thing I can think of is the kind of the tentacle head might be a kind of mythic dreadlock of some kind. But well, it could be, could be. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting, rich kind of addition to the to to how we imagine these characters. And then it says that. Currency asks, with with Total killed off, is is Joe now taking over? And uh, Smith uh, reveals a little bit more. He says, Joe's sort of halfway there. I don't know whether to carry on with him because a lot of the new stuff we're doing is very hard-hitting, realistic, class-oriented stuff. And I think if you do look at what happened then, as they went into Hex, perverted by language era particularly, that's I think that very much is the case. Um, he said, Total was always the fall's escapist bit, which I thought was really healthy when we disagreed with the heavy realist image that was perpetrated about the fall, about the reality of unemployment and that sort of crap that connected to the factories. Total was a different thing from the image. I'm um, a dreamer sort of person. I used to resent being associated with realist bands. I didn't like that at all. Um then this fantasy thing happened in the music scene where it's all escapism, and of course I reacted to that. So I guess that's true. If you get into 81 when you're into post-punk and especially the new pop stuff where Scritti Politi go from one minute they're they're um, living in a squat and uh, they're all agitprop and the next thing they're on top of the pops. Um, I reacted to this, which is where Joe Total, who is our Total's tough son, is an MI5 agent, comes in. It's just you know, Joe narrating in the NWRA how his dad came to a bad end because he was naive enough to still believe in people. Yeah, we, 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 what we don't get is any further songs using the Total name or Joe Teltow, um it's kind of, it is kind of the end of the road, isn't it, at this point? That's true. However, fast forward to 2007 and the song Smith & Mark, um, which is an early version of Exploding Chim Chimney off um, Imperial Wax Solvent, and he does drop in the following lines. Um, what does he say? He says, Total will never be captured, never. His spectra of knowledge cannot be encapsulated within the confines of its two-bit skin. Remember Culloden. And uh, yes, 2007, so what's that? for? Who can do the maths from 1980 to 2007? That is 27, 27 years, essentially, that... Um, I kind of assumed that he would just come across some old notebooks, so he just remembered what he said in the NWRA. Well, there's a reference in there to standing in the rain as well. There's a bit of rain in North Rise again. And, uh, but, oh, well, it yeah. has to have to be a callback. There, there is the bit that appeared in the Hey Luciani program in 86 or whatever it was as well, wasn't there? But Yeah, so he signed it, didn't he? He signed the author, mm. the bios of the bands as our total, which was interesting. Um, let's have a listen to Smith and Mike, um, even though it's uh, only in on a technicality. Knowledge 
It's interesting that uh, he did drop it in the end. Maybe it was just some placeholder lyrics until he uh, till he got his act together. Um, when you when you think of the other um, potential alter egos he's tried on in the past, Hip Priest is one that comes around, and especially the Crying Marshal that they played around with it for a little bit, where he said he was going to expand on the idea of the Crying Marshal, and then again that was we only ever got part one. <laughs> Um, well, I, I've always thought he he eventually became his own alter ego, didn't he? He did. The idea of how much Marquis Smith became the character of Marquis Smith, um, yeah, pretty early like on. Stuart it. Lee thing, isn't it? Stuart Lee's become a, an alter ego of himself. Yeah. yeah, and he's very explicit about that. And I, but I think Smith knew, right? You know, there's a there's a thing where he's like, boy, he kind of actually quite liked bands like. Um, the wedding present and maybe even maybe even pavement dare i say at times but he could never ever probably not pavement but uh, he would never ever admit <laughs> because he was just setting his stall at like we are the fall and we are this thing and you cannot encroach on these walls you are all shit um and if it was someone who's really different there wasn't a threat sure you could go on all day about big youth and you could go on all day about like italio disco italo disco but Anybody who played guitars and sang and spoke sung their words, wire, no fucking chance. Gang of four, shite. Competition, isn't it? That's the thing. Competition, right? So I think the very last thing we've got is Crying Marshall was a... what's that, sorry? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I reckon the Crying Marshall was a gambit to sell records. You know, like I, I feel like he felt like Totale had a certain amount of gravitas and he felt like he was a bit down on his look, and so he was like, "Right, I'm gonna bring in a new character," and then just <laughs> did. Fuck it's all my Sergeant it. Pepper. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> there, there are some other um, characters, pseudonyms, names that we've not mentioned. So around Bricks and Adult Net, uh, her first record, which had some of the fall on, they all use pseudonyms to do that. And there's the Count Gunther Holingen yeah, pseudonym, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. So there are some other ones, but they're yeah, very specific purposes that didn't carry on, really. Yeah. Different purpose to them. So I think we're coming towards the end here. There was um, an, an interview with somebody in, in 1982 in a fanzine where he kind of, um, he basically says that they don't do it anymore. But he does get let in that Roman Tatar was a philosopher and his son Joe betrayed him. In the dreams, it was mythology sort of thing. Joe was like a joke almost. You can use him as a comparison for these fucking skinheads, which is pretty direct to say, you know, Roman was this beautiful ostrich-headed creature leading the revolution of spirit, and Joe sold that shit out because it didn't work. Uh, I'm not really sure how Joe fits in as a as a skin as a skinhead, but no. I, I'm wondering if he's remembering his own dreams properly there. I don't think Joe sold out his own father. We've not heard that anywhere before, have we? No, but but the idea of like selling him metaphorical or, or like in, in terms of Joe became this kind of aggressive, vicious, violent t- uh, mm. 
uprising versus when you were <clears throat> when you were describing it before i did think to myself that it's like he he has to define himself against whatever it is that's currently pissing him off isn't it and it's like so roman Tatali's done that as, as a fantasy to, to position himself against the realist band slur that he's taken and then Joe Total comes out as a way to position him against the, the fantasy thing that he's now seeing as the, as the current enemy. And then just to get dead at the end, he's just flipped on what Joe Total is. He's no longer an MI5 agent, he's now a skinhead. And uh, just so he can take a position against whatever is currently pissing him off. So I, there's definitely a trend there. <laughs> and it's a very good... Um... Although, you know, obviously it does seem a little bit calculated if you do it every time you need a little bit of um, energy or a little <laughs> bit of push. But, you know, anger is an energy and it's good to be against something. It's just like he seemed to believe it true, which is where it's like, you know, if you, if you turn on a sixpence and you're suddenly <laughs> against whatever was happening, you, you might not fully believe it. But he seemed to be able to be like, nah, it's real. Um, so then... I think, other than the, the Smith & Mark many years later, the NME uh, article in 1983 was the a very last thing that we've got with Mark talking about it. And he said, um, I just wanted to characterize a talk-through without it actually being Mark Smith talking, um, which is the only comment Mike will make about the now-deceased Total. Um, yeah, he talks about how this is where the four generally past all understanding has stepped over into the realms of the sublime. But yeah, he um in the end he he came good. He told us that uh, it was all a scam, and I was still as right. We wasted our time once again. I'll just well, was do it. Though? I mean, oh yeah, there, there was some new facts that emerged earlier on today while I was searching for Roman Totale, and it seems that he's given up on philosophy, faked his own death, and is now selling, um, what was it? Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royces. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm not good at cars. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's that's how all the big philosophers end up, right? Isn't it? Like, used car salesmen. I know, I mean, it's the same thing, basically, isn't it? Um, after the passing of Mark... Um, a band called Utopia, uh, a band called Martin and Bell, the album called Utopia. You know, it, it seems that the um, the guys here had something to do with. Oh, I lost it. They they had some connection back in the day to a fanzine or or a, a, a venue that Mark had a connection with. And they're, they're Gavin Irish. Martin. I think so. Yeah. Well, he started out on Alternative Ulster. That's it. That's it. Alternative Ulster. So then he then wrote this um this song. And maybe we'll we can maybe play out with it. It's uh definitely different to the fall style, but you know, he's basically it's a tribute to to Mark, um, with some hints, random hints of Roman Tartal, so it seems quite fitting. Um and I think that's all that's all we've we've got. That's been plenty. That's been nearly two hours talking through the. <laughs> I think we've done it. But you were saying, Phil, you were surprised that that, that it, it wasn't there wasn't a place to get all this stuff in one place. Now, one of the threads on uh, one of the chat boards that Danny, you're kind of, you were kind of overseeing was where I got a lot of this stuff. So there is bits out there. But um, now this is done. No one ever has to do it again. Anyone who says, I really want to know all of the details of Roman Total, 
send him over here. Well, I was I, I, I had a very quick chat with Danny before we started. I'm just saying that apart from NWRA and the album title, Tortell's Turds, I didn't really think there was much, much else out there. So I've been quite looking forward to today. When I, when I heard that you two had kind of put your heads together and, uh, and done all this uh, compiling, I was, because the first thing you do is Google it, isn't it? And I was assuming there would be an article out there that, that our journalist or our blogger had written about sort of talk moments hotel. So uh, today's been really interesting. I think it's it's one of those, again, it's another one of those things that needs decoding, isn't it? And it's it's kind of a weave of things rather than anything particularly uh, defined. But I think it's fascinating. And it's it's great how he stretches out what being in a band can be, what a song can be, and what performance can be on the stage. Um, it's still very exciting to dig into that. Well, I think there's, there's a lot more to it than I think. Once you, I think we've pretty much gathered everything here. I, I'm not unless something else comes up in one of those auctions. I'm. I think we've got everything that's out there here. So that's pretty good, and plenty mm-hmm. of us to talk to. I, as I said earlier, I I couldn't find, and I don't know of any other rock artist that has done something quite like this. So it, it's as far as I know, relative. We can't be relatively unique, can it? But as far as I know, it's unique. But mm. perhaps someone listening to this will uh, will know of somebody that has. But I, yeah. I couldn't find him. I thought yeah. what Ezra said before, it's such a good show. The Huntress Thompson thing, I'd not, I'd not thought about yeah. that. But that's a good show. But yeah, I mean, again, it's another it's another uh, field, isn't it, of, of writing? Yeah. Um, it's within rock and roll as well. I don't know if how familiar they are or how similar they are, but we've got Henry Rawlinson um who uh you know inhabited the body of um what's his name vivian stanshaw from the bonzo dog band and dr octagon yeah who i believe did get paramedic fetus of the east that's right there we go so there are a few that get close there's alter egos left right and center some some better than others but this kind of yeah as as uh fisher said meta textual the mythos thing is is delightful yeah I'd, be, I'd love to hear if anyone else had pursued that madness more and um yeah i think maybe next week when the auctions come out and we get the 300 page edition of the rest of the master race story chapters 2 to 14 <laughs> we can do another episode all righty i'm going to play the roman tatal's uh death song um by uh, martin and bell and then i'll, I'll uh, we can we can say our goodbyes danny as always it's been a, a pleasure um well thanks for the invite yeah and uh if you're still glutton for more punishment maybe we can do another one uh well i mean your podcast gonna carry on infinitely isn't it I... pretty much i mean we took <laughs> you know you're showing want, no signs of stopping i want to do one on the flicker and lexicon i want to do one on um we've still got hanley's books and I, I heard that there was a piece of paper someone found a few weeks ago that had some letters and numbers on it that's probably fall related. We should do, you can get a couple of hours out of that. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone. Thank, thanks. See you all Wait. later. Take care. Cheers, Ali. See you soon. Cheers, all. Feel free to go your own way and have a good day. Sudden Zoom, back to that hotel room, tanked up, talking jive. It's 1985. Just outside Rotterdam with the fall man. He was our guide to getting pie-eyed and totally fried as we broke on through to the other side. Last summer, I thought about him and I just cried. And then today they said that Mark had gone and died. 
Krishnan told the news of Smithy stuck in tragic blues with no way to lose his drinking shoes or his speaking views. But it's a sure bet that not everything is set by blokes on the news. The bourgeois crews who stumble and sweat over the pro-art threat. Because, scorched on the ground, there's the mighty, mighty sound that got into you all, and that was the fall. It's left right here, that much is clear, or maybe even tangled, because a lot of his words, well, they came out mangled. But it was all there, the Pope growing a pair, Lovecraft in his lair, getting drug sick with Philip K. Dick, spinning the latest scam with the Edinburgh man. He made a whole new fable, just as soon as he was able, out of crowd-rocking things, like a bat without wings, a blister on the strings, synths sounding broken, as something fearful was awoken in a swamp of the mind, set to leave it all behind. Going speeding on a train, clean out of his brain, burning the psychedelic flame like Blake, making Rigsby in the back of a van, buzzing on a can with a line of snort, and this or that cohort. This was a man with a crazy art plan.